everyone. Hopefully y'all are doing well. Jesus is the glorious Christ. Amen. The greatest of all delights and power unequal. That is the God that we so wonderfully serve. So if you do have your Bible, please open it to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Our, uh, our uh, passage today is verses 1 through 17. Uh, and the title of this sermon is Jesus Redeems Relationships. Jesus Redeems Relationships. Please join me as I ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Holy Spirit, uh, my, my prayer is, as I pray each week, is that you would take uh, these scriptures, that you would take uh, this sermon, this word, and, and that you will apply it to our hearts and to our minds and to our life. I know it doesn't, we, we can't do it apart from you. We cannot. We can't understand Scripture apart from you. We can't live it apart from you. But we need to let that sink in. The Spirit of God has to do it. We can't do it. The Spirit of God has to do it. We can't do it. So, Holy Spirit, we, we fall before you today, and we ask that you would do it. You are our counselor. You are the one who leads us into all truth. You are the one who reminds us of, of Jesus' word. You are the, our deposit that guarantees our inheritance. And you live in us supernaturally, the same spirit that, that, that came at Pentecost, the same spirit that lives in us today, at this moment, at this time, in our presence. You have a power that's on high living in us. And so, Holy Spirit, will you lead us into truth today? For our good for the glory of our glorious Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. In his book, Understanding People, Dr. Larry Crabb writes, God created man for relationship with himself and others. Human beings are fundamentally relational creatures, like babies crying for the milk that sustains physical life, people desperately reach out for the kind of relationship that can bring personal health. Like newborn babies crying for the milk that sustains physical life, people desperately reach out for the kind of relationship that can bring or that brings personal health. All people, saints and guests, all human beings desire relationships because people are created 
in the image of a personal and relational Trinitarian God. That is an amen statement. That there, you see, there is a relationship and community within the Godhead between the three persons, the, the Father, the, the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit. And humanity is designed for a similar relationship and community and fellowship. We're designed for that as image bearers of a Trinitarian God. But because of the fall and because of sin, our design for relationship is broken. The Bible Bible begins with Genesis 1 and 2, but there is a Genesis 3 as well. And because of Genesis 3 and because of the fall and, and because of sin, let's be honest, relationships are hard. Amen, Pastor. Parenting is hard. Marriage is hard. Relationships with your siblings are hard. Relationships with your neighbor is hard. Are hard, is hard. Relationships with your coworkers, hard. Relationships with your parents, hard. They're messy. Filled with drama. Filled with bad communication. And some relationships are even toxic and abusive. The fall has fallen on all of our relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationship with other people. And someone is needed to bring redemption to the brokenness. Someone is needed to to heal and to clean the mess. And that someone is a redeemer. And that redeemer we know is Jesus Christ. And as I said, the the title of this sermon is that Jesus redeems relationships. He does. And and the main point is is that Jesus redeems relationships so his people can experience healthy community and connection. Think about that. He's redeeming the relationships in your life so that you can experience healthy community and connection. The first relationship he redeems is a broken relationship with God. That's the first one that he's going that he wants to redeem for you. Is a broken relationship with God. And again, we we know the reason why it's broken. If you know anything about the Bible, you know it's Genesis 3 is the reason. Adam and Eve, our first parents, that their disobedience and, and their rebellion is, is the reason. And here's the thing, the damage of our first parents' fall is experienced by all humanity. The consequence didn't just die out with them. We are experiencing the consequence of the fall right now. Even if you do not believe Christianity, even if you think Christianity is is a lie and it's a whole bunch of, uh, uh, of false teaching, you are still experiencing the consequences of the fall. And you don't have to believe what I believe for that to be true. There's a reason why your life is messy. There's a reason why your relationships are hard. The fall. No human being gets a pass on this. No one can, can dodge the fall. Its consequences doesn't skip anybody. We're all dealing with it. And because of the fall, that there's a, there's a chasm between a holy God and sinful people. Please know that. 
And what is a chasm? A chasm is a deep cliff in, in the surface of a planet. It's like it's a canyon that makes a division. It's a breach that marks separation. It, it's a gap that breaks. You see, the fall breaks our relationship with God, separating us from him because of sin. And, and only that, it makes us an enemy of God. He's on one side of the cliff. And humanity is on the other side. Someone is needed to bridge the chasm. Someone is needed. There needs to be a bridge. So they can bridge the gap between the creator and his creation. Something needs to happen. Someone needs to fix that. In the Message Bible, Romans 5, verses 12 through 14 says, You know the story of how Adam led us in the dilemma we're in. First sin, then death. No one exempt from neither sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God and and, and everything and everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who did not sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who would get us out of. Amen. And that's what the Advent season is all about. <laughs> it points us to the one who gets us out of the mess. You don't get yourself out of this mess. Okay? You can't fix this. Your money can't fix this. Your experience can't fix this. Your credit can't fix this. Your resources can't fix this. Someone else has to get you out of this. You don't have what it takes. To fix this. And you need to let that soak in. You don't have what it takes. To fix this. You're not good enough. And you will never be good enough. To fix this. Jesus. Is the only one. Who gets us out of this mess. Through his life. Through his death. Through his resurrection. He gets us out of the mess. It's his finished work. It's his resume. It's his resources. It's his career. It's what he does. And what he does is better than what you can ever do. When you come to saving faith in Jesus, you are reconciled to God. He reconciles you to God. Again, salvation is is more than you dying and going to heaven. That's what we always think about. I'm going to be saved from my sin. That's part of it, but that's not the only thing it does. (laughs) Salvation is bigger than just you being saved from going to hell. You're reconciled to your God. 
he bridges the chasm between you and God, and he creates peace between the two of you. Romans five Romans five ten says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. See, some of us we we, we think we were God's homeboy or part of his entourage or, you know, that, that, that we were his friend. No. Jesus saves sinners. Jesus saves enemies. That's what he does. Because of union with Christ, enemies of God become friends of God. That's our amen statement. Orphans become sons and daughters. Lost souls become found souls. Sinners become saints. Do you know that's who you are in Christ? You are a saint. You're not a filthy, nasty sinner. You are a saint who struggles with sin. But you are a saint in the eyes of God. Immigrants become citizens of a heavenly kingdom. A broken Imago Dei begins to heal. And a once broken relationship with God is now a redeemed relationship through a redeemer. And so we should say, thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise him, saints. And apart from saving faith in Jesus, God's relationship with you remains broken. You're still God's enemy. You're still lost in a state of sin and misery. And as I said before, your good works would never bridge the gap between you and God. You, it would never do it. The cross of Jesus is the only bridge. Will you walk over it? Will you walk over it? The invitation for freedom is extended to you. All you got to do is take hold of it. All you got to do is come to Jesus in saving faith today, and you will be free if you really want to be free. At least be honest about it. It's exhausting pretending to be something you're not. It's exhausting pretending to be something that you're not. If you don't know him, Just say you don't know him, you don't want to know him. At least be honest about it. High school freshman Paul Scott and fourth grader Rebel Hayes have been running cross-country together as a team uh, this season in in Arkansas. They, They run as a team because Scott is blind. You see, Paul Scott is blind. He, he can't run without a guide runner to help him navigate the courses. Rebel, Scott is, Rebel Hayes is Scott's guide runner, his eyes. The two of them are tethered together by a rope. Scott holds one end. Hayes holds the other end. Hayes leads the way, which allows Scott to navigate the cross-country courses without fear. And you know what? He has to trust that Hayes is going to lead him through those courses 
to the finish line. So he had to put his trust in Hayes. And saints, Jesus is your guide runner. Jesus is a guide runner for his people and their redeemed relationship with God. See, he reconciles us to God and he continues to guide us in a growing relationship with God also. See, here's the thing. Reconciliation, that's great. Again, that's that's one aspect of salvation as well. Another aspect. You see, reconciliation with God, the Father, equals peace with God. Not intimacy with God. Reconciliation is peace with God, not intimacy with God. Intimacy with God is a blind spot for all people once they become Christians. You you, you see, you don't become a Christian, then automatically you have intimacy with God. You got to think. You spent most of your life not in a relationship with him. You were intimate with other things, mostly your sin. So you don't get saved and all of a sudden, man, I love him so much. Come on. Please stop. Just stop. You have to grow in intimacy with him. Jesus, as your God runner, he leads you into a more intimate relationship with the father throughout your lifetime he is the one who who leads and navigates you to the heart of god he does that he does it he redeems your relationship with god so that you can have a real intimate and connectional and and communion with the father and fellowship with the father you don't have to die and go to heaven to 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 have communion with the father you can commune with him now. And many of you don't. Here's my thing. Don't just be satisfied with having peace with God. Want to be want intimacy too. Some of you are satisfied with just having peace with him. But you never ever cry out, Lord, I want to know you more. Maybe that's why you feel like he ain't close to you. Because you, you set up for just having peace with him. You can have an intimate relationship with the Father now. The question is, do you want it? Do you want it? You can get it through Jesus. You can't get it through, through yourself. It comes through Christ. Remember, you're tethered to Jesus, and he's leading you more and more to the heart of God. So what does intimacy with God look like? It looks like this. In Jesus, you can know, enjoy, and glorify God the Father without fear of condemnation and rejection. Jesus does that. He does that. In Jesus, you will never, ever be separated from God again. Even the sins that you struggle with won't separate you from him. Now, he may discipline you, but he does it as a father does it. In Jesus, the Father smiles upon all his sons and daughters. In Jesus, you can freely submit and surrender to the God's lordship over your life with joy and delight. Notice what I said, joy and delight. 
because he's not some terminator God. He's not some father that's just going to beat you down. He's a good, good father. And as a good, good father, you should say, yeah, I, I enjoy living under the sonship of my God because my God is for me, not against me. Even when my God tells me no, I know he says no because he loves me and it's for my good. In Jesus, you can intimately commune with the Father in word and prayer. Your quiet time, if you think your quiet time is work, then God is not your, you, you, functionally God is not your Father. And functionally you, not, you don't have intimacy with him. Listen, you can have, here's the thing about reconciliation. You can be reconciled with somebody and have peace with them, but don't be friends with them. You can just say, I no longer hate your guts. But that's not what Jesus does when he reconciles us to God. He reconciles us to God so we can be his friends, so that we can be his son and daughter, so that we can enjoy him, so we can have intimacy with him. I'm not, this, this, I'm not talking about you knowing a whole bunch of theology. I'm talking about do you know the Father? As Father. Or is, or is he just a whole bunch of theological concepts? Satan has that view of God, but can't do nothing with it. Did you know that? Satan has the right theology, but he can't do anything with it. He knows there's only one God. But he's not reconciled to God like he is to us. He's not. In Jesus, your heart, mind, and soul being godless. In Jesus, you can love God back. In Jesus, uh, God's will becomes your will. In Jesus, you give up the agenda for your life and take hold of God's agenda for your flourishing and well-being. In Jesus, you will begin to, to love who God loves and what God loves. In Jesus, you will seek the things of God. And in Jesus, you will set your mind on the things of God. This is what the Apostle Paul tells the Colossians in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. He says to them, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things of, uh, that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and, you, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In glory. Each year, during this time of the year, season, many people create a Christmas list. They do. It's a list that of all the kinds of gifts the person wants to receive from Christmas, on Christmas Day. Some of you may have created such a list, and, and some of your kids may have created such a list. Now, what if our Trinitarian God created such a list? I know it sounds silly, but follow me for a moment. What would God put on his Christmas list? What does God want? For Christmas. What are your thoughts? Have you ever thought about that? There's only one item. One item. On his list. And it's this. Everything. 
for my glory alone. What does God want for Christmas? What he wants every day, his glory. And as Jesus navigates you closer to the heart of God, and as he guides you into a more intimate relationship with God, you're going to eventually want the same thing. And I get no amens on that, do I? Your Christmas list will reflect God's Christmas list. Everything for the glory of my God. When you're growing into an intimate relationship with God, that is what you're going to want. Why do you do what you do? I do it for the glory of my God. Why are you a good parent? For the glory of my God. Why are you going to work on time? For the glory of my God. That's what I want for Christmas. For my God to receive the glory for the very life that I live. You will seek that and you set your mind upon it. Colossians, um, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. All to the glory of your God. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one asks, What is the chief end of mankind? The answer, mankind's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You will glorify and you enjoy God through an intimate relationship with him. So are you enjoying God as your good, good father? Or do you simply work for him like he's your boss? Is he your father or is he your boss? How do you live? Functionally, how do you live? I came across an illustration this week used by a psychotherapist in an article that he wrote. I want you to listen to these words. He wrote, there's a story about a young monk who, who was sent down into the city from his mountain temple by his master to experience the world. And almost as soon as he arrived, he, he found it difficult to, to remain centered, almost impossible to, to meditate. He would sit on the floor of his room and find himself constantly distracted by the sounds and, and the smells outside of his tiny window. Eventually, he traveled back up to the mountain to speak to his master and, and to tell him about his struggle. His master listened intently to his tale. And then poking him in the chest said, what what are you doing out there when you should be in here? We hear a lot about relationships, the author says. There are love relationships, partner relationships, work relationships, friendships, and even ships that have sailed. In service to all these relationships, we often overlook and even neglect our most important relationship, and our relationship with us, our self-relationship. We often, just like the monk who lost himself to what was on the outside, we often do the same. We often do the same because our self-relationship, just like our relationship with God, is also broken by the fall. Do you know you do have a relationship with yourself, right? Because if you can't love yourself, you really can't love other people either. So we have a relationship with ourselves. And like our relationship with God, Jesus redeems 
your your relationship with yourself and in your relationship with yourself he is also your god runner to lead you into a more healthy self relationship he helps you not to hate yourself because there are some people even christians who struggle with their relationship with themselves they hate themselves hate the way they look He also helps you not to idolize your beauty, your gender, intellect, emotions, giftedness, ethnicity, and sexuality. But do y'all believe it? Do y'all really believe it? Something supernatural happens to people once they become Christians. Once they're in union with the Redeemer Jesus. It happens to each of you if you already have faith, have faith in Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come, and the old has gone. The new is here. Your old self has been crucified with Jesus, and your new self is made alive in him. You've been born again. No longer are you in Adam. You're in Jesus now, and that's wonderful, and and that's awesome, and that's beautiful. But yet, this new birth in Jesus creates an interesting dilemma for all Christians. It creates conflict and, and tension within us. You see, your old self isn't completely gone. The old self still lingers. You've been set free from its power over you, but you still struggle with it. It's defeated, but it's not eradicated. The old self is like a residue that remains with every believer throughout the rest of their lives. And saints and guests, please listen. Please take note. Your old self in Adam now stands in opposition to your new self in Jesus. The desires of the old self are of the flesh, and the desires of the new self are of the spirit. And Galatians 5 tells us that these two oppose each other. To keep us from doing the things that we want to do. Do you feel the eternal dilemma? Are you experiencing the, the eternal, the, the internal conflict and struggle? The answer is yes. Each of us feel like there's a war raging inside of us. We feel like we're being pulled by two different natures. We experience this daily contra- contradiction inside of us. We're like Paul in Romans 7, for we don't understand our own actions. We do not do what we want to do, but we do the very thing we hate. Now, if we do what we don't want to do, we agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer we who do it, but the sin that dwells within us. We know that nothing good dwells in us, that is, in our flesh, for we have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. For we do not do the good we want, but we, but the evil we don't want, we keep doing. Is it just me, or do you have that struggle too? Now, if we do what we don't want to do, it is no longer we who do it, but the sin that dwells in us. So we find it to be a law that when we want to do right, right evil lies close at hand. For we find it to be a law that when we want to do right, evil lies close at hand. 
it lies close at hand because the old self is still with us along with your new self. I know this is confusing. You might be asking yourself, well, what, Pastor, what does it actually look like for Jesus to redeem our relationship with ourselves if we have an old self and a new self hating on each other? Pastor, we're lost. Please make it plain. Remember, Jesus is your guide runner. He's, he's leading you away from your relationship with your old self, and he's guiding you into a healthier relationship with your new self. He's leading and guiding isn't just, a, it isn't just salvation. It's weekly. It's daily. It's yearly. It's monthly. It's all the days of your life. Jesus could be leading you away from your old self and, and guiding you towards your new self in him. And he does this through the work of the Holy Spirit. He's doing this even if you don't feel like he's doing it. He's doing it. In Jesus, you can break up with your old self and Adam every day. Think about that. Every day, you have to break up with your old self. Every day, in Jesus, you can take off the clothes of your old self. In Jesus, you, you can put to death the desires of your old self. Paul tells the Colossians in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetedness, which is idolatry. In verse 8, he says, but now you must put away all anger and wrath and malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. And in verse 9, he says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, this putting to death. Putting away and, and, and putting off or a daily removal of the old self and its practices with repentance. You thought I was going to give you some work to do, didn't you? It's putting to death, putting away, and putting off or a daily removal of your old self and its clothes through repentance. Look at verse 5 through 7. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked when you were living in them. Repentance is one of the ways Jesus leads you away from your old self. And guides you to your new self. Christians with a healthy relationship with their new self in Christ practice daily repentance. Not out of shame. Not out of guilt. Not out of fear. Not out of legalism. You practice it out of freedom. Out of freedom. You practice it because because you know that there's no longer any condemnation in Christ. You practice it knowing that the Father has given you the struggle, that you can struggle with your old self and its practices with a repentant heart. See, repentance isn't beating yourself up. It's you not living and walking in your old self. 
Repentance is you telling your old self to be quiet and take a seat. That's how you deal with the old self. Repentance. Do you practice daily repentance? That's how you battle the old self. That's how you deal with your flesh. You don't deal with it by beating yourself up and wallowing and, and, and trying to climb on the cross with Christ. He's already given you a way to deal with it, to fight it. Repent. Repent. Some of us are of our own worst critics. Some of us are, well, we, we judge ourselves so harshly. We beat ourselves up. We guilt ourselves. We shame ourselves. And, and we practice self, the negative talk. Christ died for real sins. The sins that you presently struggle with, past, present, and future. His blood is enough. And so if you're living more into who you are in Jesus, then you will be practicing repentance more in your life as you deal with the old self. See, that repentance is, is clothing of your new self. Think about the most expensive clothing line in the world, like Gucci. That's what repentance is. Do you wear it? Do you wear it? Or do you wear something like penance? Self-hate. You need to put on your right clothes, saints. Take off those dead man clothes. Repentance is clothing on your new self, and you need to wear it with, with confidence. One pastor says, repentance is a radical concept. It takes the supernatural motivation and guidance of the Holy Spirit, but it's also one of the most exciting concepts in the Bible. We usually don't associate excitement with repentance, but the heart of repentance is a reality that Christ has given us new life. We don't have to live as if we are rats caught in a maze. We can live resurrected lives, and the door to such living is repentance. You want to be you want to get out of the maze? Practice repentance. Put it on the clothes. Put them on, saints. Put it on. Repentance isn't the only Gucci clothing item of this new life. Jesus dresses us with other items as he guides us into a healthy relationship with our new self. Look at verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And he even talks about putting on love. In Christ, you can wear these clothes daily, dressing up in them as you navigate life. Every day you wear love and compassion and, and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. These are the clothing items of your new self in Christ. And guess what? You don't dress yourself. You don't dress yourself. You are being dressed in these Gucci outfits. In Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
He's dressing you. You're being dressed in repentance and compassion and kindness and love and humility and meekness. Look at verse 9 and 10. It says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Your new self is, is constantly being transformed. This is something that is happening to you. It's, it's ongoing and, and, and it's progressive. It, this is what theologians call sanctification. And your new self is being renewed after the image of God, the imago Dei in you. You see, believers are, are being transformed more and more into the image of Christ in their life. That's what's happening to you. That's what the new self is doing. You're beginning to look more like Jesus and less like Adam. That's the amen statement. And even when you don't feel it, even when you feel like you're backsliding, the spirit is still working. He's doing that work. He puts the work in for you. The new self is coming more and more like Christ, to think like him, to believe like him, value what he values, love what he loves, and love who he loves. The new self strives to to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Also in Jesus, you can love yourself in healthy ways, saints. In Jesus, you can you can you can see yourself as beautiful or, or handsome regardless of how much you weigh, regardless of what the scale says. In Jesus, you can give yourself grace. You give grace to other people. Do you give grace to yourself? Do you give yourself permission to make mistakes? Do you give yourself permission to fail? Do you give yourself permission to say, you know what, I'm tired. I'm going to take a nap today. Do you give yourself permission for those things? Parents, you can give, you can tell your kids, I'm tired, go play by yourself. Be honest. Give yourself permission to be honest with yourself. Do that. You can do that without it being idolatry, without it being selfish. In Jesus, in Jesus you, your new self surrenders all to him. And this is important. Your beauty, your gender, your intellect, your emotions, your giftedness, your sexuality, and your ethnicity. You surrender to Jesus. In the new self. That means all those things now belong to him. And you use them for his glory, not your own. Each of them find healing in Jesus. Do you believe that? And each of them can be enjoyed in Jesus without you idolizing them. Look at verse 11. He says, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave free. But Christ is in all and is all. In Christ, you don't lose. We don't lose our ethnic and cultural identities. Instead, they are put in their proper place. And where's that proper place, Pastor? Beneath Jesus' lordship. That's the proper place. 
And the same is true for your beauty, your gender, your intellect, your emotions, your giftedness, and your sexuality. As one hymn says, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Let us pray.